Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to the Resolutions Podcast, where we like to turn difficult topics into helpful conversation. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. Today, we conclude a four-part series on racism, cultural bias, and systemic discrimination. If you've not listened to the first three episodes, we encourage you to be sure and do so. That way you won't feel like you're dropping into the middle of a conversation. Today we bring back our friend Daryl Fitzgerald, pastor, soon to be published author and U.S. staff member with Freedom in Christ Ministries. Uh, Daryl was our featured guest on episode one in this series and he did an exceptional job uh, giving us his perspectives on the cultural push towards equality and uh, really gave us an education on cultural blindness, cultural bias, and cultural oppression. Uh, the response was just uh, really phenomenal and overwhelming. Uh, so, as always, we invite feedback and the feedback and conversation that was generated by that first uh, interview with Daryl Fitzgerald really provided so much helpful information. Uh, There were many questions, observations, there was praise, there were counterpoints offered. So we thought it would be wise to bring Daryl back and let him address the most prevalent thoughts of our listeners. Our follow-up conversation picks up just after Daryl and I got caught up on family life, sports, and life in the year 2020. All right. Well, it's good to have you back on here again today. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me again. And listen, it's, it's been a whirlwind yeah. since we talked. Well, that's maybe a good place to start, Daryl. Uh, tell us what's happened uh, since the first podcast we recorded. What's What's been happening in your immediate world, inside your network and beyond? Uh, sort of bring us, bring us up to speed here. Okay. So uh, since we have talked uh, last and the podcast went out, I've had the opportunity to meet with the, the commissioner of the state of Tennessee because he heard the podcast and wanted to meet with me. I went, I, I went to one of the places that I've always wanted to go in Tennessee, which is the, the Golf Club of Tennessee. I don't okay. have a membership there, okay. but he does. And so he took me to the Golf Club of Tennessee and we had a conversation about all this racism. And I got to play golf at the same time. So good conversation, bad conversation at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was great. Uh, Man, I've had so many Zoom conversations. I've I've turned down several this week. I just just can't do it all. I can't Mm -hmm. can't do it simply because uh, I don't have the bandwidth to continue to be the voice of reason or the voice for the Black community concerning all this stuff that's going on with social injustice. So uh, I, I, I'm learning my, my, my boundaries, but at the same time, I, I understand that I have a responsibility to, to be uh, a light in darkness, and this is a dark time. And, you know, I can't represent only my culture. I have to represent the culture of the kingdom of God. Hmm. And in the kingdom of God, there's free, slave, n- no Jew, Jew, you know, Scythians, you know, the kingdom of God is filled with people of uh, the, the world view that I live by is, is the kingdom of God, not the cultural worldview that we're in right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I have an obligation not to deny my culture, not to deny who I am in my skin, but to live according to the culture of the kingdom while I'm in my skin as an African-American. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well said. Uh, every tribe and nation, right? And uh, yeah. and for us to be ambassadors of uh, of truth and peace and grace. Um, so let's let's dial in maybe a little bit here culturally uh, before we get into the the main meat and uh, and the point of uh, of today's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, culturally, what what are you seeing as far as um, you know the messaging that is going out as far as you know really sticking uh, to uh, the ideas, uh, the the values of equality, of uh, systemic discrimination, cultural bias, cultural oppression—you know, sort of those things. Uh, what do you what do you see? Where where do you think we are at this point as we record in August 2020? Um, I I believe uh, sincerely that that there are people on both sides of this spectrum that um, that need to have a balanced view. Black Lives Matters need to have a balanced view. You know, everybody is not a racist. Um, however, the system that we grew up in, um, I understand why Black Lives Matters do what they do. Mm-hmm. However, I don't agree with the organization of Black Lives Matter because it's so liberal. Mm. But I do, I do understand um, that we have an obligation to... Uh, to speak to the the issues of the culture, not from a like I said a cultural perspective, but a a kingdom perspective. You know, yes, I am a black man, but I don't represent just black men. I represent the kingdom. I, the Bible calls me an ambassador. Mm-hmm. I'm an ambassador for Christ. You know, last I checked, he I, he made me. I didn't make him. Yeah. <laughs> so. So because of that, I have to represent him in the midst of a cultural, like I I think I said this last time, a cultural revolution. Mm -hmm. We are in a cultural revolution and I have to represent the kingdom of God in this cultural revolution because the morals and values that I stand by come from him. When I say him, Christ, not my own set of values as a black man, even though I know I I love my, I love me some me. I love my black history. I love who I am. Yeah. But my, my culture has to represent the kingdom and not my own. Um, here's a quote that I have that I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with a lot of quotes that I'm putting in, out now simply because I'm trying to, uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to counter the culture with God's word. And, and I'm trying to be neutral, but at the same time, I'm trying to also help people understand that God is no respect of person. So, you know, one of the quotes I have is God made no second class citizens, only first class. Mm-hmm. So treat every citizen like a first class citizen. But that comes from the kingdom of God. It doesn't come from this culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a worldview that sees people as equally created by the, their creator, then I would not treat people as such. So my perspective on Black Lives Matters, my perspective on cultural revolution that we're in right now is you got to have a centerpiece. And the centerpiece in that is the, the, the only way we're going to get through this and make it through it unscathed is at the, at the cross of Christ because mm. he died for everybody. That's a good word. That's, that's good the only way we're going to get through this. And, you know, yes, I have a right after 401 years of mistreatment of my people. I have a right to be angry, to be upset. 
but I have to put my rights down and pick up the rights of the kingdom simply because the kingdom gives me solution and resolution to all these issues that we deal with. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, then we're going to go back, back and forth, bickering and fighting and complaining about who has what and who did what and who did this and that. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so we still have issues that are uh, systemic, that are unjust. And last I checked, the kingdom of God is about injustice. Yeah. God wants to bring justice to the unjust. I've seen it fizzle out way too many times in my lifetime, personally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so at this point, and what, what we're hoping is, is a sustainable movement, uh, Daryl, let me ask you, what are you most encouraged by and why? I am encouraged that the movement is still going strong. Uh, people are still having conversation. Um, here's, here's, here's the reality. When Christ was on this earth, he knew everyone would not jive with his message, but he still went forth. Mm-hmm. When it comes to people understanding the movement of Black Lives Matter, a lot of people won't understand it. They, won't un- they will not understand. I am not saying that I'm better than you. I am saying I need equality. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. We will twist it and turn it and, and make it what we think it is. I am, I am happy that from a federal level to a, 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 a state level, the conversation and the people are still talking about it and the eyes of many are still being open. Yeah. But at the same time, the eyes of many are still stubborn. Yeah. They don't want to see the reality. Yeah. yeah. So you have the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, 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 it is what it is. We can't, I can't, I can't change people who don't want to be changed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm hopeful in those same things too, that you're talking about. Um, is there anything that you would point to and say, boy, you, you're prayerful. You're, you're really looking to see a bit more momentum uh, in the movement for racial equality, maybe uh inside, outside, faith communities, what, whatever there? You know what? Um, I, I believe all, all the glitz and glamour of, of social injustice is not going to solve the issue. I think that what's going to solve the issue is, is backyard conversations, mm. letting people talk about the issue. The people that don't see the cameras and lights that are having the hard conversations, like in my house and and people asking me the questions, calling me from California to from South Carolina to say, "Okay, what do I need to do? I got to do something." This is I'm seeing the I'm this is my first time seeing the injustice that is happening in this country. What do I need to do? And those conversations are going to make more of an impact than CNN or Fox. Yeah, yeah. Those those conversations that continue on behind closed doors uh, with um, ethnic groups that are are sick and tired of this stuff that I believe. Uh, that that's how we're going to make a change. Yeah. It's, it's the grassroots efforts. It's not the, it's not being seen in public eye. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know, uh, incidentally, uh, Daryl, I have heard a lot of great feedback uh, that stem from uh, just 4th of July cookouts this year uh, to mm-hmm. where maybe, uh, you know, people have been able to, for the first time since, you know, 
COVID hit, they're able to reunite a bit outdoor activities. It's just family over and, and the conversation comes up and regardless of whether it goes ugly or whether it keeps peaceful, mm-hmm. it's still those backyard conversations uh, that you're talking about. And I would like to see again, you know, more and more of those happening. Um, so today uh, what we want to do is we want to give you the opportunity to address uh, three different issues that we've spotted as far as trends in the feedback from the first episode. Uh, and, and, I and, I, and I need to say, we got a lot of positive feedback. But what we wanted to do was to collect questions, observations, uh, maybe people seeking clarity or maybe people offering counterpoints or so forth. And we tried to distill that down as best as we could so that we didn't have, you know, uh, 20 questions or something here. And so we've, we've condensed that down into three specific issues that we're going to give you the opportunity uh, to speak from the heart on during today's show. Does that sound good? It's good. All right. You're ready to go then, right? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, in the shark week. let's dive in, man. Let's dive in. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, so let me, let me give you the first one here. Um, okay. This one, this first uh, response um, after our, our first episode uh, was one that was probably most repeated uh, in the, in the show comments afterwards and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it here uh, okay. to to give it uh, a general feel and then uh, a consensus and then I'll let you I'll let you go at it. So uh, if I were to sum up these comments, it would go something like this: uh, Wait, are you saying I should feel guilty or think of myself as a part of the problem just because I'm white? I don't have a problem with African Americans or people of color. I have or have had black friends. I don't think poorly of black people, I say, let's just live and let live. So, all right. So that's, that's a basic summary of this first issue. Um, And I'm going to let you respond to that however you wish. Uh, But I think it does tie into your definition of cultural blindness, maybe to a certain extent. And what is a, what is a morally responsible thing to do once your eyes are opened to a situation that maybe you didn't understand or you weren't aware of before. So what do you say to comments like that? Oh man, it's a, it's a delicate situation. Um, because I, I do understand the, the blindness that is a part of this cultural on, on, on both parts, black and white. I don't, I do, I, I have a little bit of understanding of that. So I understand why people can be a little defensive when it comes to um, how they perceive what I'm saying because of the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. Um, however, um, when people are, are open to conversation, you, you can't come to a conversation closed-minded. You have to come to a conversation and you have to be open to hear the pain and suffering of whoever, it doesn't have to be black or white. It could be anything. You, you just have to be open, willing and open to have a conversation and not come from a posture of defensiveness, but come from a posture of I'm open and I'm hearing and I want to listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're not open to that, you can't understand the pain of someone else who's trying to help you understand their pain. 
because you you already have an answer for what you you want to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you close you're close minded to anything because your perspective because of your culture is what you think is the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So I, you you, you got to be open. So morally speaking, this, the scripture says, "Be quick to listen and slow to speak." Yeah, that's on both sides. We we both have to be quick to listen. What are you saying to me, and what am I saying to you? that I have to hear you and you have to hear me that, that we have to come to a consensus, biblical consensus for the issues at hand. That's a great word. Um, can I tell you what I think as a white guy, when I read feedback like this, <laughs> Hey man, let's go. <laughs> Here, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And, uh, and, and I, I would say that I don't hear uh, a lot of these type of, 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 uh, of observations or, or comments, uh, from, from females, I feel like it's more gender specific. I'll say that, you know, mm-hmm. and what I hear most of the time as a white guy is dudes saying, I don't want to complicate my life with something that I'm not really contributing to this oppression. And to me, the question that I ask is, uh, is, passivity in and of itself a statement that you're making so i would like to know what your thoughts are as far as passivity like you're just going to be passive to this whole issue and even in that are you making a statement so there that's a loaded question that i'm throwing back at you you just you you you're just gonna make me talk aren't you that's what you're gonna do that's what the show's all about brother (laughs) (laughs) um when you're passive about a situation, no one who is passive about a situation does never has not have an opinion. <laughs> they always have a, an opinion. They just don't want to share their opinion because they're afraid of the repercussions. And the repercussions of sharing their opinion means they're no longer passive. They have entered into the stage of conversation. So the church has been passive about this issue for decades. We have been complicit to this issue for decades, for year, for hundreds of years. The church has not been in the forefront of moving towards reconciliation. And so because the church has not, we have, as a church, we have giving in to the system and not giving into the kingdom. And so when, when people are passive about something, man, they have every right to be passive about the situation, but 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 at the same time, you're, you're making a statement that I, I'm willing to be politically silent about this and not share my opinion because I'm afraid of what may happen to me as a person, financially, physically, morally, emotionally, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So being passive about this situation when you see, listen, Chris, Chris, when you see a person, when you see a person live on television for eight minutes and 46 seconds, his life taken away from him in eight minutes and 46 seconds, and you have nothing to say about that? Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. And uh, you know, one of the positive things that, that I really respect and love that I see going on uh, is 
the names, say the names, say the names, say the names. It takes it from a story uh, to, uh, to, to, to the human factor in that. Um, and, and here's what I would say. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I feel like, you know, the, the people who I've personally talked to and have had this initial comment or this initial question, I don't feel like I'm racist. I don't feel like I'm part of the problem. What I've had to ask them to do is, hey, man, go back and listen to the episode again. Because if that's the first thing you heard, then your defenses are going up. Yeah. And you weren't listening, like you said. You know, are you seeking understanding? Are you listening? And so for the most part, you know, when when my my friends, people who've, you know, who have taken that initial stance, wait a second, are you trying to impose some sense of guilt or shame on me because I'm not a racist. I'm like, no, but I would encourage you to go back and, and, and listen again. And then, you know, to me, the idea of passivity is you're not even pausing to say, God, what can I do Mm -hmm. to make a Mm -hmm. difference in this? Because maybe what the Lord wants you to do is to start, you know, patronizing a business that's owned by a minority in your town, by, by an African-American in your town. And maybe you're going to, maybe that's your, maybe that's your, your way, you know, of, of getting involved, making a difference or, you know, or, or a variety of other things, you know, that you can do. But uh, yeah, Chris, the idea is we want to be woefully ignorant of issues so that we don't have to be accountable lots of times. And the scripture says, James four seventeen to him to know to do good and doesn't, it's sin. <laughs> yeah. Chris, here's the deal, man. Here's the deal. Who wants to feel guilty? Who wants to feel shame? The issue is not me making you feel guilty or shame about something you didn't do. The issue is you have to recognize after 401 years, there's something wrong with the system. And when you don't want to talk about it, you are being passive and you are being complicit to the issues that's on the table. I've had people to say, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Are you serious? You, after three months or four or five months of this, you now all of a sudden you don't want to talk about it. And they're not, they're not black people, they're white people. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to feel the pain of this anymore. Oh, well, welcome to my world, brother. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Why? Because this has been my world for 53 years. And now for five months, you, you're talking about you don't want to talk about it? Come on now. Yeah. That, that's, you, you got to, where's the, where's the balance in this? Yeah. Where's the balance? Yeah. I think that's a good point. And going back, you made some initial comments about you being able to play in a golf club that you normally wouldn't be able to play in. Mm -hmm. And what that took was an insider getting you an invitation into that world. And I feel like that's another great opportunity uh, for the majority, not a minority, but for the majority of us, you know, who would be Caucasian or whatever, uh, you know, in what ways can we invite, you know, people of color, black, you know, people into spaces that we normally operate in. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a courtesy that is not passive. And if it's done with intention, it makes a difference. It's something beyond just a conversation. And, uh, and you can't do that if you're in a defensive posture or if you're somehow, uh, you know, thinking that there's some sort of guilt or blame or whatever being assigned to you when ultimately it's not, that's not going to get us anywhere. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well said. All right. You want to jump to the second issue here? Jump, jump in. All right. Here, here was the second 
thing that we uh, were able to recognize in the collection of questions, comments, feedback after the first episode. So uh, let me see if I can if I can stage this here. So Daryl, um, you and another guest that we had after you, Linda Wynn, uh, discussed the aspects of cultural or racial racial oppression uh, that extended well beyond the era of slavery here in the U.S. And we received some questions from our Christian listeners regarding the mandate to forgive. Okay, so uh, as Christians, there's a lot of Christians that listens uh, that listen to the Resolutions podcast, and so they'll dial in, uh, you know, on a biblical worldview, and they'll they'll try to make the connection here with the issues that we're bringing up. And so they they brought up the question of of forgiveness. And um, let me give you an example of one of these questions, and then I'll I'll let you respond to it. So. Um, some people pointed to, you know, the, the reality of slavery, Jim Crow laws, reconstruction, civil rights, et cetera. And, and they sort of looked at it as like, hey, uh, that's a part of the history. That's water under the bridge. Uh, they're not saying that to minimize the significance of all those things. But they wanted to point out that history can't be changed. And based on Matthew 18, Jesus teaches that people are to forgive from the heart. And the Bible describes how justice is not ours, but God's. Uh, it explains how true forgiveness means not holding someone's past against them. And so the, the, the question that we're picking up uh, from these observations that are coming from faith community is, why should any white person alive today be held accountable for the terrible sin of slavery, which they had nothing to do with? Can we not be extended forgiveness based on grace. Now, before you answer that, I would say that it's very interesting that there wasn't an abundance of questions going, how can we seek forgiveness? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So I, I will say that in the, in, 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 you know, in the, in the feedback, but, uh, but uh, anyway, there are a lot of people that would say, Hey man. And uh, you know, with, with these things in mind uh, you know, what where does forgiveness honestly have uh, you know its role in racial injustice that happens in 2020 or God forbid beyond? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say first of all that they who whoever these people are, they are absolutely, and I need to say this as clear as I possibly can. They are absolutely 100% correct in the fact that it is my mandate. Not from their their perspective, it is my mandate as a follower of Jesus Christ that I forgive people who have offended me and I forgive people who have mistreated me because it is the gospel. Because Jesus first forgave me of my sin. How can I not forgive people of their sin? Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, forgiveness is 100% accurate. However, when forgiveness continues to be challenged by the by society and if you ask me to continue to forgive you for continue to show you your sin how can i be held accountable for my forgiveness and you not be held accountable for yours what are you doing how are you i'll put it back on you what are you doing to show that you are repented for the sins of your forefathers. Hmm. You want to be forgiven, but there is an act of repentance that is shown with forgiveness that you have to also partake in. 
You want me to forgive, but what does forgiveness look like for you? And what does repentance look like for you? Mm-hmm. Repentance looks like you changing your mind about how you approach my culture. Now, for me, you still are not really showing that you are repentant when you can kill a man of my, my race on the streets unjustly. It's no different than hanging a man on a tree back in 1860. It's no longer a tree. It's a knee. So wh- where, is, where is your repentance in this like you're asking me to forgive? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am going to forgive because I know if I don't forgive, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me sick. But where's your part in it as well? Ah, that's such a good point. You know, and let's, let's also frame it like this. Uh, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are tied into uh, a ministry that you and I are a part of, Freedom in Christ Ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not just USA, but Freedom in Christ Ministries International. I know you've had ongoing dialogue uh, yes. in, in, that, in that network as well. And we advocate uh, those resources all the time here on this show because we just believe it's just such a, a great way to uh, find resolution in these interpersonal struggles that we experience, spiritual struggles, and so forth. Now, if you're familiar, if you're a listener and you're familiar with Freedom in Christ uh, and what we what we advocate, and that's a truest sense of identity in Christ and then how to walk free in Christ, Absolutely. there's an intervention tool that we use. It's called the Steps to Freedom in Christ, and Step 7 deals with generational sin. Generational bondage, and I, I, you know, after having the opportunity to to be able to lead many, many people through the steps to freedom in Christ, I know that one of the toughest things about really dealing honestly with generational sin, or we would say generational curses, or things mm-hmm. like that, is people misunderstand that in order for them to be free and to, in order for them to, to rightly repent, which is something you're talking about, to address mm-hmm. it, to be honest with it. Uh, you know, the, the word confession in the scripture is a, is a Greek word, homologios, and it means you're agreeing you're, you're, with what God says something is, all right? When we take a person through that step of addressing generational sin, attitudes, things like that, we're not asking anybody to renounce their loved ones or their ancestors. What we're doing is we're asking people to say, hey, here's what we've been characterized by. I'd like to make a confession of that. I'd like to turn from that and renounce that specific sin and break that you know, pattern generationally. We're not asking anybody to deny or to somehow heap shame upon another generation. And I think that's a disconnect sometimes. And so if I could just piggyback on what you're saying there, that's, that's why it makes sense to address something that maybe happened generationally before any of our listeners were born. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's because there's a spiritual tie to it that we don't look at when it comes to race and relationships, that it really is headed by the king of darkness, Satan himself. Mm. So we have to look at it generationally because um, you, can't t- you can't untie yourself from your culture. Your culture, my culture, we have sin issues that are in our cultures that only the cross can have adequate answers for. 
And if we don't use those and we, we, we don't look at it from a, a spiritual and generational curse issue, then we're only fooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not asking people. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want people to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to be free from it. But in order to be free, you got to look at the reality of where things are in this country and you got to face it and you got to face it with, with honesty and purity and defensivelessness. You, you got to bring your defensive down and just talk. Let's have yeah. conversation. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And there's something uh, incredibly freeing, uh, you know, when we're able to, uh, to humble ourselves. And again, uh, you know, we're going back to the difference between, hey, am I going to demand my rights or am I going to assume my responsibilities? Uh, mm-hmm. Because that's a mark of, of interpersonal health when we're saying, okay, well, what responsibilities can I assume? And so from a, from a faith-based Christian standpoint, one of the things that we can do is recognize that, you know, maybe the tradition, part of what's been, you know, uh, carried along generation to generation is something that doesn't square biblically when it comes to justice and when it comes to God's heart for equality. And so it's a matter of saying, hey, I'm not renouncing or casting shame upon my loved ones, but I do need to address something that we've maybe been characterized by and break the bondage of it. I need you to say that one more time. I need, I, I need, I, I, that, that is not coming from a black man. That's coming from a white man. I need you to say that one more time. You need to do what? I need to personally, and I think this was the point of beginning with my first email with you, uh, uh, regarding this subject matter and even, you know, conversations we've had maybe while I was recording or not, but I need for you to acknowledge, I need for you to know that I understand that even though I can trace back my Christian heritage generations, Mm -hmm. there was also interwoven in that different aspects of racism of cultural bias that contributed to cultural oppression. And I need to be able to own that generationally here in the moment, mm-hmm. confess that to God, repent to turn away from any of those things that may still be lingering as residue in my family, you know, immediate extended family, and also renounce those things. Because when we are able to renounce something in the name of Jesus, it's severed. It's, there's no longer anything there that would tether us to these tendencies of the things that we've been guilty of in the past. Again, going back towards the things of inequality and, and, and uh, systemic discrimination and, and racial. And I need, I need you to know as a black man that I have forgiven you for the injustices that you, your forefathers have committed. Not you, not you, but I appreciate the fact that you have the wherewithal to say, I know that in my line, in my culture, in my heritage, there is some stuff that has, there, there are some injustices, there has, there is, there's racism, there is for that lack of better words, there there has been in my culture people who didn't uh, they abused your people. I don't hold that against you, Chris. I don't hold that in, against any white person. However, it really is a matter of acknowledging the sin and turning away from it 
that I appreciate as a black man. Mm. Don't turn away from it. Don't say, don't, don't, don't push it away and excuse it. Just say it happened. The reality is it happened. And guess what, Chris? It still happens today. In the system that is set up, it still happens today. There's injustice and equality that still happens to my people and myself as a black man that needs to be acknowledged. And I think the conversation on the table today has been, has been uh, overdue for 265 years. Mm. You're gonna have to give me a second because um, I really wanna thank you for that forgiveness that 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 landed in a place in my heart that uh that i needed and uh and i really i really really appreciate that i, I thank you so much for that daryl chris listen we're in this together this is about the kingdom of god this is not about listen this is gonna sound crazy but this is not about the this is about racism this is about kingdom culture mm. It's my job to confess my sin, and it's your job to confess yours. Mm. It's, my, it's my job to leave behind the injustices that have been happening to my people for 400 years. It's my job to leave it behind, mm. but it's also my job to acknowledge that it is there because it hurt. Mm. Mm. It's there. But yeah. we, we can't heal what we don't deal. Yeah. We can't. That's good. That's good. Let's move on to issue three. How about that? Let's move. Let's All go. right. Here we go. Um, you know, this, this, this next observation, the, the, the final issue that we want to deal with in, in this podcast uh, was probably the most poignant. And I want to read it for the listeners, uh, not to single anyone out, but I believe it raises a great, great, question for clarity. And so, um, so it's a bit lengthy, but, um, yeah, but again, I'm going to protect the, the identity here of, of, of the listener that, that gave us this feedback, but I think it's, I think it's good. And I think it, it raises a pretty important, um, question. So it says here, uh, regarding, uh, the first conversation you and I had on a podcast, Daryl, it says, I believe Daryl said more white people have to step down from their positions of power so they can be given to black people. I listened to the podcast three times to make sure he actually said that. It seems like Daryl is more focused on his relational rights than his relational responsibilities when it comes to black and white race relations. He said the cultural oppression comes from people in positions of power. Now, this is after eight years of a black president, a black attorney general, and many high-ranking black cabinet officials, not to mention the numerous black members of Congress and the Senate. Blacks actually see the worst oppression in cities that have black governors, black mayors, black police chiefs, and others in charge. I believe Daryl might not like to hear statistics from white people, but it may only be because they tell a different perspective that doesn't match his opinion. He talks about blacks being made to feel less than by the majority race. That doesn't sound like a person uh, who is shooting for reconciliation. Um, 
And then this person goes on to, to talk about a bit of, of minority uh, in, uh, you know, DNA and their heritage and, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, but I think that's a good place for me to push, push pause. So, um, you know, again, uh, a person being very transparent, very sincere, which I totally appreciate. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this brings up a, 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 a wide, a widely held question that a lot of white people have because they don't understand maybe what it's like to live in Detroit, let's say, where the inner city population is about 80% African-American. So I'm going to let you respond to that from the heart, a question that came from the heart. Well, um, first of all, you know, I, 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 whoever the listener is, I, w- I want to, I want to thank you for being honest with your, your response. Cause I know sometimes being vulnerable, um, you don't want to feel rejection mm. from, from what you talk about. And I in no way want this person to feel, um, like I am pushing back on their vulnerability. Um, I, I want them to feel welcomed to the conversation. Now, um, I don't agree with all what they said. Um, they don't know me. If they knew me, they knew I counsel black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It doesn't matter whoever comes to my office and whoever I have conversation with. Um, my answer is always reconciliation first to Jesus and reconciliation to your fellow man. Mm. Um, so, but but I understand again why they would want to, why they think that I am I'm not power hungry. The reality is, you cannot deny a system that has been set up for um, Europeans to come in to have his and her own way of living. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. I I do now. I, I, can I be honest? Uh, please. I do feel a little disappointed with the person's response. And I do feel a a little anger with the person's response because the person judged me without knowing me. Um, However, I do understand why they say what they say. It's called blame shifting. Don't you, you, Unless you get to know who I am, you'll know I'm not power hungry. However, I can't turn a blind eye to things that are happening in society and and say these things are not happening to my people. Paul even said, man, if I I could choose, I'd go to hell for my own people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul said that. And so, and, and Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible and I'm not saying, and I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going to do what Paul did. I'm not going to help anybody. <laughs> yeah. But I understand his sentiment. I understand his point. Uh, so it's, 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 it's disappointing, but this is what we go through all the time. Yeah. And let me, can, let me give a little context here too, that may be helpful and far be it for me to speak on another person's behalf, but I'm going to, again, I feel like what I bring to our conversation in the moment is white guy. <laughs> so uh, I have been, uh, I've been blessed uh, to spend some time uh, throughout my, my ministry, a career uh, in South Africa, 
and uh, and have done work uh, in in different communities down there, especially Cape Town. Uh, I would tell you that that one of the people coming out of the 20th century that I have the deepest respect for is Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I have uh, you know a friendship and connection uh, with uh, back in the time of apartheid being ended, uh, a Christian uh, military leader, a high-ranking general, uh, who played a large part in the reconciliation of that process. Mm-hmm. That not only you know Nelson Mandela was freed from prison, but would rise to be the first black president yeah. Yeah. of South Africa. Uh, but here is the challenge that that a lot of South Africans will tell you, especially if they've spent uh, a long term history in that country, is even though, uh, you know, a, a black person uh, was elevated to that level of leadership, the construct was largely European to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they know firsthand the limitations and it's such a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know the right metaphor to use, whether it's, it's pushing a rock up a hill or trying to push a rope or whatever, but that is, that's a country that we can look to and from their own testimony say here, you know, we had strong leadership with Nelson Mandela and they would have kept reelecting him by the way. But, but like George Washington, he said, there needs to be a term limit here for me. Yeah. And it left a leadership void, a vacuum. Uh, and so, you know, South Africa is still coming to terms with, okay, well, how do we, how do we adapt a system that was created, you know, with, a, with the, the European people predominantly yeah. in power and in mind, and now how do we go back? And so I, when I hear this question and a person scratching their head going, I don't understand why there needs to be more people at the table of leadership of color or black, you know, the black community or whatever. When we had eight years of that, that's not discounting those years, but still you're talking about something that's systemic. That's going to take a process that's intentional and years, years to bring into balance. So does that make sense, agree, disagree, or respond to what I'm saying there? Well, uh, the sad part is um, the eight years in office is seen as a checklist rather than seen as a systemic problem. You know, well, what about the 43 presidents before? Mm. You know, why did it take 44 presidents to become all of a sudden, now we elected a black president. So uh, your, your point is well taken. You can't take 400 years of injustice and say we have, all, we have arrived after eight years. You just can't, you can't do that. That's mm-hmm. totally an imbalance. It's an imbalance of injustice and equity that's in this system that's been, that's been built by men who themselves did not want to be slaves. And yeah. so why enslave people when you know what slavery is like? Let's just have a conversation. Yeah. I love this because we just having conversation. Yeah. You know, I'm not blaming you. You're not blaming me. Let's look at the, the, the reality of where we are in this country. Let's heal. We're not going to heal in five years, 10 years, but let's start the process. Yeah. 
And I, I appreciate your transparency so much because I'm hoping that listeners are vicariously participating mm-hmm. in the conversation that you and I are having as we're taking, you know, this feedback, these concerns, and we're just from the heart, you know, talking about it. And, you know, here's something else too that, that I, I'm going to mention just for the sake of mentioning it for our listeners who have a bit of a, of a, of a Bible background to them or a biblical worldview. Um, one of the most overlooked things and one of the most epic stories in the Bible, and that is the exodus of God's covenant people out of 400 years in slavery out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses on the night that they were set free. God staged this outpouring of Egyptians who heaped upon the Israelites mm-hmm. monetary and agricultural resources, mm-hmm. heaped it upon them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they left slavery resourced for success. Mm-hmm. And I am telling you that did not happen in the 1860s. All right. And, and for me, and for me, you know, uh, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, Zacchaeus and his aha moment with Jesus, and he understood the privilege that he had taken advantage of and the entitlement that he benefited from his immediate response was not just a thank you, Jesus, but Hey, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to restore four times, like four times, right? And so, you know, when you and I are talking about, you know, leadership, giving, you know, what what is now, you know, it's a, it's a significant minority of our population, but nevertheless, it's been an oppressed minority, mm-hmm. giving them a seat at the table, a voice in leadership. You know, I, I also tie that back into Let's let's do what we can do to set people up for a win. And I'm not talking about let's throw money at a problem. I am not talking about that at all. But that's a part of the of the equity conversation that has to be taken place here, right? From a biblical standpoint, my conviction. Mm-hmm. Well, you you said a, a mouthful, and I hope you don't lose listeners for what you just said. <laughs> um. There's value. That's why I really go back to the only system that's going to work in this this revolution is God's system. Mm. You know, the reason I believe the Exodus was so powerful in that the Egyptians chose to monetarily and agriculturally give all of those people, the Israelites, the resources to move forward is because even though Egypt was a powerhouse financially, they knew the hand of God was bigger than their finances. Mm-hmm. They knew the hand of God was bigger than who they were. Mm-hmm. And so I believe not only it was the Egyptians choosing, but I believe it was God leading the Egyptians mm. to give them resources mm. so that they could mm. uh start a life that they didn't have for 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just that the Egyptians all of a sudden felt generous because they were trying to keep them enslaved. 
the Egyptians was like, okay, we, the hand of God was on these people. Yeah. And God was, I, I believe that, that God himself was speaking and saying, okay, they also need resources. So out of your abundance, give them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's really good. Well, uh, it's been a privilege to have you back with us today, man. And, uh, every time you're on, I, I only get, uh, smarter. <laughs> and, uh, and again, uh, my soul was touched today, uh, just again, by the, by the extension of grace here on your part. And, uh, you know, we want to wish you the best and we're going to create space, uh, here on this platform, uh, you know, to keep that conversation going because, uh, I know that what you have to share is relevant and I know that, uh, that, you know, in order for us to, to see the world around us change, uh, we're going to have to give, uh, guys like you, uh, the space and the opportunity, uh, to, to speak light. And so, uh, thanks again, Daryl, for joining us today. Uh, you and I, we're going to, we're going to stay in touch and, uh, you know, as, uh, as the opportunity presents itself, and I mean that intentionally, we'll make, you know, yeah. space, uh, we're going to, we're going to have you back here and, and, uh, and keep it rolling. Okay, brother. Yes. Well, until the next time that we talk again, yeah. and we're going to do it again. Yeah. Let's, let's keep the conversation going. All right. Thanks so much. Absolutely, brother. You know, as the host of this podcast and, uh, and also, of course, a, a licensed professional counselor, uh, I, I do not hide the fact uh, that I practice Christian spirituality. Uh, sometimes we get comments just regarding how blatantly Christian and spiritual uh, the conversations go. Um, you know, our approach towards mental health, uh, I think it deserves to be revisited, is we want to take an approach of wellness that is uniquely psychological theological and spiritual. Uh, sometimes that means that we will probably drill into the mental health and psychological uh, aspect of things. Uh, many times when we talk to our guests, we'll do a deep dive into theology because of how we see ourselves as um, you know made in our creator's image. And then other times uh, we do just uh, take the liberty to step into spiritual themes and spiritual aspects of life. You'll notice, of course, that with uh, our two guests that compose this four-part series, uh, they are deeply, deeply spiritual people. They have a deep conviction uh, that they express uh, through Christian faith, and, uh, and we just think that's wonderful to expose our listening audience to those types of perspectives. And so I just want to say that if you've hung in there uh, throughout uh, these, uh, these particular podcasts, uh, and maybe you don't have uh, what you would classify as any uh, specific type of spirituality, maybe you don't have a definitive belief in God or theology, you just have an interest uh, in mental health and psychology, um, thanks for hanging in there with us, and thanks for allowing us to just speak from the heart of what brings balance into our lives and what ushers in holistic wellness. As we wrap up this episode, one of the things that I want to be sure to do is to offer a few points on how do we keep the ball rolling? How do we continue as concerned citizens, as people of faith, um, how do we continue to keep fighting for black lives once the headlines move on? 
And I want to offer maybe three or four things that we can just sort of keep at the forefront of our minds moving forward. Number one, I would suggest that we look for opportunities to have discussion on this matter. Um, I think that Daryl is, is just so spot on. And that is, you know, the, the water cooler conversations, the conversations when we're cooking out, you know, as we're coming to the end of the summer, uh, when we're, we're maybe on a run uh, with our friends or a ride or uh, in, a, in a long distance ride in a car, or maybe it's a walk around the neighborhood, uh, you know, looking for the opportunities uh, to have discussion, to be intentional about it. And then as we come into those conversations, be a good listener, practice active listening, you know, be sure that you're seeking understanding and then be sure that we take the opportunity as, again, concerned citizens, concerned for equality, racial equality here in our culture. We take the time to speak up and to create space for relationships and growth. The second suggestion I would offer is consider patronizing black owned businesses, um, you know, helping uh, again, you know, African-American culture, black culture, people of color, uh, helping them thrive in business, again, is, a, is an excellent way uh, to build relationships and to, uh, and to do away with a lot of cultural bias that leads to ultimately cultural oppression and systemic discrimination, giving them uh, a, a space for economic success broadens their voice, gives them a greater platform of influence. Number three, I would suggest that we look for opportunities to partner with black community leaders, pastors uh, who lead predominantly black churches and in other people who are actively involved in this movement of equality. That, that takes intention. That takes you being aware of what's happening uh, locally, regionally, on a state level, uh, maybe even on a national level, but just continuing to ask yourself, what might I be able to do to help? Uh, in this particular episode, we went into great detail about passivity and uh, and the dangers of that uh, as far as not getting involved, not uh, being a difference maker. And so that's another opportunity. That's another thing that I would encourage you to consider. And then lastly, I would encourage you to invite African-Americans, Blacks, people of color into your sphere of influence. Whatever that is, how whatever that looks like, whatever rank you have, I'm going to encourage you uh, to give African Americans, to give Blacks, to give them a seat at the leadership table, even if it means giving up your seat for a time. This is the way that, again, we create conversation in spaces that have impact. This racism, cultural bias, systemic discrimination is not only a social issue, it's a mental health issue, and for many of us, it's a spiritual issue. And we hope that this episode has been helpful in providing you with new things to consider and talk about. After all, that's why the Resolutions Podcast exists, to turn difficult topics into helpful conversation. We plan on revisiting this conversation on a regular basis. We also have some fun upcoming episodes where we talk about the lighter side of life in 2020, along with tips for helping your kids adjust to the virtual classroom. If you've not already subscribed, 
please do so. And if you would, take the time to leave positive feedback on your listening platform of choice. That helps us to help others. So thanks again for taking the time to join us. We hope to connect with you again soon.